Good morning, everyone. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 11, verses 29 to 36. Um, that's on page 1043 in your Bible. 1043. Ready? <laughs> We're wearing the wrong glasses. I can't really see today. Okay. <laughs> the sign of Jonah. As the crowd increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to his generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of his generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with his generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here, the lamb of the body. No one lights a lamb and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamb of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it, then, that the light within your, you is not darkness. Therefore, if, you, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamb shines its light on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, David. Letting our inner light shine. That's kind of a popular metaphor in many settings. I really love the film Coach Carter. It's um, about kind of this high school coach who puts a padlock on the school gym uh, in the middle of the season um, because he wants his players to learn that education, life and virtue are the things that really matter. So these young men under his charge, they're pulled this way and that by the temptations of living for the moment and of gang life. They're de nearly derailed by tragedy, but eventually they pull through. And in one pivotal scene, before they finally step back onto the basketball court to play, one troubled young man recites the following poem. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be? Brilliant, gorgeous, talented, famous. 
Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I like it. It's a powerful moment in the film for these teenagers to hear that even when the world is constantly trying to push them down, they have a purpose to fulfill and a light to shine. And to that, the Bible does say a resounding yes. We are all made in the image of God, made to be lights in the world, displaying him in all his beauty. So shine. But the verses that we've just read in Luke also offer us a warning to add to what we've heard in that poem. Though everyone is made to shine, and though everyone does up to a point, the brightest light is not in everyone. It's not. There's one sentence from the lips of Jesus that should shudder in our souls as we leave this morning. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. That's what the Lord Jesus challenges us with from verse 35. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. It's a call to examine ourselves. Are we the lights on the world that we were made to be? Or are we kidding ourselves? I think the timing of Jesus' words matters. And verse 29 highlights that he said this, as the crowds were increasing. Jesus' popularity is growing. And I think we know that whenever something becomes popular, there are always people who jump on the bandwagon. Um, When a band is popular, people wear t-shirts with the band's logo on it, even if they don't listen to the music. And Jesus is concerned that some of his audience are doing just that. They've got the Jesus t-shirts, but only because it's cool. They're not disciples, they're just part of the crowd. The light within them is just darkness. So here's a question for all of us. We'll put it up on the screen. This is what we're going to ask ourselves. Am I a disciple or am I just part of the crowd? It is excellent to see more and more people coming here on a Sunday morning. It's great that Many of you have been here for far longer than I have. But Jesus wants more for us than just being part of the group. Jesus wants more for you than just being part of a community like this. He wants you with him on discipleship road, on the path that leads to heaven via the cross. Are you a disciple or just part of the crowd? I want to be up front with this message um, Normally, when anyone opens the Bible up here, it's going to be full of joy and celebration. Um, I don't think this is one of those messages. Uh, Today is a bit more minor key, but God knows what we need, and uh, we do need to hear these minor key messages from time to time. We do need to hear this warning.
to help us examine ourselves, in these verses we get two marks of people who are just part of the crowd. Here's the first one. The first mark of being part of the crowd is sitting on the fence. And we see that from verses 29 to 32. You know those conversations where in the moment um, you don't really know how to answer, but then hours later you think of the perfect response. Well, in uni, I had a friend who was interested in Christianity. Uh, She was very respectful. She appreciated a lot of what she knew about the gospel, but she wouldn't commit to it. She was sitting on the fence And in a moment of boldness, I asked her, what's holding you back? And she said, I just wish God would give me a sign. I wish God would give me a sign. And the only thing I can remember about my response in the moment was that it was rubbish. It was a really bad response. Um, But as soon as I got home after lectures, what I should have said hit me in an instant. And I'll tell you what I should have said in just a moment. I'm going to read verses 29 to 30, and if you'd like to, you can follow along in your Bibles. Ask yourselves, what is the sign God has given? As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation." Maybe you remember from the story of Jonah that Nineveh was a city of really great evil. And Jonah, the reluctant prophet, was called to go and speak God's word to them. But of course, Jonah gets in a boat and sails in the opposite direction. God sends a storm and Jonah ends up sinking down beneath the waves. But a giant fish swallows him up. And after three days in the fish's belly, Uh, He is belched out onto dry land to the place that he was supposed to be going uh, anyway. And there, as Jonah is finally preaching to the Ninevites, he's speaking God's word. And as he does so, he's covered in fish guts. And uh, as the people are listening to him preaching, they know that this is the man who miraculously survived the belly of the fish. It was a sign that authenticated Jonah's message. It was evidence that his message was true. Now, fast forward back to Jesus' day. He had already given sign after sign, miracle after miracle, proving that what he was saying was true. And yet, many of the people listening to him were still uncertain about the things that they had been taught. They just asked over and over again, give us another sign, Jesus. Give us another one. That's what they said in uh, chapter 11, verse 16. And that's what Jesus criticizes them for in verse 29. For them, at this point, refusing to get off the fence is nothing more and nothing less than deliberate unbelief. They already have all the evidence that they need, but it was never enough for them. So Jesus says to them, all right, no more signs except one, the sign of Jonah. He points to the final sign that was just down the road. In the storm of God's judgment, 
Jesus would sink beneath the waves of death. He would lie cold and silent in the belly of the grave. And yet on the third day, he would miraculously see the light of day again. The sign of Jonah is resurrection. That's what Jesus means by the sign of Jonah. Resurrection. Is there a better sign than that? What alternative evidence might you suggest God give you? that Jesus' message is true. Maybe we might say a a bright beam of light landing on an open Bible. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Um, But even in the UK, sometimes the clouds do break and light goes places. Um, Eventually, one of those beams of light is bound to land on a Bible somewhere, and someone is probably going to be near that beam of light, and it might as well be you. So all of that might happen, but it's probably just a coincidence. Yet, the sign of Jonah, Jesus' resurrection, here is a sign that cannot be explained away. So the next time I was in conversation with someone talking about signs, here's a slightly more eloquent version of what I said. A sign would be good, wouldn't it? What if, uh, what did you have in mind? What if God showed up himself, not just for a moment, but for years? What if God showed up, not just to you, but to tens, hundreds of thousands of people? What if, instead of a beam of light, he did something really impossible? What if he died and came back to life? And what if there were hundreds of witnesses? Wouldn't that be a good sign? At that time, the person I was speaking to really did get the point. God already has given us the best sign he could possibly give. We don't need any more evidence than that. And yet some people do still sit on the fence, interested enough to be part of the crowd, but not willing to commit. Jesus offers such people this warning from verses 31 to 32. The queen of the south will rise at the judgments with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. With these words, Jesus shows how crazy it is to sit on the fence. The Queen of the South is more commonly known as the Queen of Sheba. Um, You may remember the uh, piece of music written by Handel, I think, um, the arrival of the Queen of Sheba. That's what this is talking about. She heard rumors of the wisdom of Solomon. So she traveled miles and miles and miles uh, to listen to him. Yet these people in the presence of a wisdom far greater than Solomon's, will not listen, will not pay attention until they've been given more evidence. The men of Nineveh, they repented because Jonah gave literally an eight-word sermon. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yet in the presence of a far better uh, preacher with a far greater message, Jesus' audience refused to repent. They refused to turn to him from their sin. And our Lord says, our Lord says that if anyone arrives at judgment day, 
still sitting on the fence, they will be condemned. The Queen of Sheba and the men of Nineveh will say, what were you thinking? And if that's us, we will have a crushing moment of tragic regret. Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I turn? So let's ask ourselves, am I a disciple or just part of the crowd? If you're still sitting on the fence, still waiting for more evidence, more signs, I think you know the answer to that question. Please, please, no more delay. No more excuses. Jesus being alive is all the evidence you could possibly ask for. Now, the second mark of uh, just being part of the crowd. Not being generous. Now, have a little glance at verses 33 to 36. Uh, And think to yourselves, Andrew has clearly lost the plot because this is nothing to do with generosity. (laughs) Um, But bear with me for one moment because there's two images that we have to wrap our heads around if we understand what Jesus is saying here. Firstly, what is the light? Verse 33, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. The light in this verse and those that follow is Jesus' teaching. It's Jesus' teaching, or possibly more specifically, Jesus' life-changing teaching. As he teaches, transforming us from the inside out so that we shine. That is the light that shouldn't be hidden under a bowl. A life transformed by the gospel is the lamp that should be put on a stand so that all may see. When your character, when your speech, when uh, your integrity is transformed by Jesus, you are radiant. You are radiant. As the poem said at the start, we are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. Shine. Seriously, show off how Jesus is changing you. That's the first image. Light is Jesus' life-changing teaching. And the second image is the tricky one. It's the eye. What on earth is going on in verse 34? Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. Our first guess might be uh, something like, Make sure you're filling your eyes with the right thing. Keep focusing on Jesus. That's a reasonable guess, but it's not what uh, this means. And it really is important for us to try and understand what Jesus has in mind here. None of us like it when uh, other people that we're talking to deliberately take what they want from the conversation rather than listening to what we mean uh, when we're saying it. So let's put the effort in to understand what Jesus means here. Here's the explanation. In the Bible, and in many Middle Eastern cultures, even today, if you saw a generous person, you would say, that is a person with a good eye. And if you saw a stingy, ungenerous person, you would say, that is a person with a bad eye. 
Um, it comes up in the Bible quite often. So in Proverbs 22, verse 9, um, a kind of literal formal translation would say, the one who has a good eye will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And for the opposite, in Matthew 20, verse 15, there some workers are complaining that others who have worked less get, are going to get paid um, generously. And so the landowner replies, do you have a bad eye because I am generous? So here's the meaning. Good, good eyes, healthy eyes, that equals generosity. Bad eyes, unhealthy eyes, that equals greediness, stinginess, not being generous. And also you might notice in your footnote uh, at the bottom of your page 1043, something similar to that. Now, Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. In other words, the eye shines out what is inside us. If you have a good eye, it's because you're full of light. If you have a bad eye, it's because you're full of darkness. Or to plug in our untangled images, if you're generous, it's because you're full of Jesus' teaching. If you're ungenerous, it's because Jesus' teaching isn't really inside you at all. So, uh, meet Colin. Colin has been attending church for years and years and years. He's really uh, respected in the community. Um, he really knows his stuff. Uh, he knows the Bible back to front. And if you were in a Bible study with Colin, you'd almost be intimidated by him because he always seems to know the answers. And yet, when Colin is on his way to work, he'll never stop to... Um, chat to the homeless person that he sees day by day. He'll never offer a meal to that person. Um, when uh, he thinks about opening his home to people, it will only ever be to people who are like him. Uh, he'll never open his doors wider than that. And uh, if people start um, suggesting that, oh, there's a need in the church, then he'll definitely take a step back. Is Colin a disciple? Or just part of the crowd? I mean, we, we can't really know the answer to that. But judging by the eye test, things aren't looking particularly good for Colin. Bible knowledge, Bible understanding is a very good thing, but it's not the most important indicator of being a genuine disciple. Colin really needs to hear Jesus' words, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Of course, it's easier to think of other ungenerous people rather than to examine ourselves, isn't it? But let's, let's take this seriously. How do I measure up? We don't have to be perfectly generous. That's Jesus' job. But how do you respond when, uh, when you hear of different ways to help Ukrainian refugees, whether that's through accommodation or financial support? Do you just sort of skip past that bit in the church news when it comes out? How do you respond when you hear of serving opportunities in church life, whether that's a potential new all sorts group, whether that's locking up after the services, whether that's uh, helping with Easter Explored or welcoming missionaries when they're among us? How do you respond when church finances are mentioned? None of us are perfect. None of us. But if we're asking the question, am I a disciple, 
or am I just part of the crowd? Whether we're generous or whether we're stingy, it's going to be pretty revealing. I can't resist a bit of joy and celebration towards the end. Why is it that generosity seems to be the number one indicator of whether we're disciples? It's because Jesus' teaching from start to finish is all about grace, isn't it? It's all generosity. It's just who Jesus is. He gives and gives and gives and gives. Throughout um, Luke's gospel, we've just seen Jesus time and time again moving towards the needy, moving towards the, the blind, moving towards the homeless, moving towards the brokenhearted. That's just what Jesus does. He's generous. He gives himself, coming down from heaven as a baby, leaving beside the, the throne room of heaven to come into a dusty old shed, um, giving himself on the cross to people who hate him. Our Savior is generous from start to finish. And so if we really are claiming to follow his teaching, surely that should be what characterizes us too. Let's take Jesus' warning seriously here. They're not for the person next to you. This warning is for you. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. If you've come to the conclusion that you are just part of the crowd, it's great that you've realized that. And it really is great that you're here. Jesus doesn't want to push you away with this warning. He wants to draw you in. He wants you with him on discipleship road, on the path that leads to heaven via the cross. His arms are open to the crowd. Come in. Listen to him. Repent. Turn from sin and turn to Jesus. He will have you. And equally, if you've come to the conclusion that you are a genuine disciple. Be encouraged. Be reaffirmed in your faith that Jesus really is alive. Be encouraged. Take encouragement and confidence and certainty from that. Our Savior is alive. We have all the evidence we could possibly need. And shine. Look for opportunities to be generous. We're going to have various missionaries uh, with us over the next few months. Um, Why not take them out for for dinner and uh, make sure that you pick up the bill. That would be a lovely opportunity to shine the sort of generosity that Jesus has already shown you. Let's remember and take away, as well as this warning, just this wonderful truth that Jesus is alive. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave, he rose again. It's all the evidence we'll ever need. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we don't have to guess when it comes to a matter as important as what to do with Jesus' teaching. Thank you that you have given us all the evidence that we need 
Father, we pray for anyone that's still on the fence. Lord, we pray that you would work in them by your Holy Spirit and that they would take a step of faith today. Lord, we pray that they would turn and follow Jesus. And Father, for all of us, we pray that you would strengthen our faith as we look at the sign you have provided. Father, we pray that you would help us to celebrate Jesus' resurrection and shine out the light of his generosity to those around us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.